Today's episode of Pop Culture Reference is brought to you by the Professional Cinema Society's bi-annual student film and video festival here at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. If you want to submit to this year's festival, the deadline is December 6th, and you can find more information on the Professional Cinema Society's Facebook page. Now, on with the show. Hello everyone, broadcasting live from a future not yet written. This is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm Seamus Connolly. I'm Garrett Strother. I'm Ricardo Salgado, I guess. You always seem, like, caught off guard when you say our (laughs) names, but I don't know. That's because he's afraid. He's he's afraid to be on the grid, Seamus. Oh, they're (laughs) tracking your every move. This podcast is going to get us terminated, boys, let me tell you. So, I think we should jump right into news, guys. Let's do it. Seamus, I believe you have something that you wanted to bring. Yes, I believe it was announced yesterday or today that... I mean, I guess we all knew it was coming. Uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse 2, or whatever they're going to be calling it this time around, that got announced for April 8th, 2022. Now, that is a... That's a pretty ambitious... A long time. I yeah. think that's a really ambitious release date, because, like, three years for an animated film of that caliber, where you're having... Like, that animation seems so time-intensive to me. Oh, that's no, a really impressive... I don't think they could. Sony's got their little fingers in there now. It's like, this made money, now we're going to take full control of this. I want you to do this, this, and this. That is a valid concern, I think, Ricardo. I'm hoping that this is like a runaway train of... Like, the first one was just so good. Like, it was, I think, the best Spider-Man movie I've ever seen. And that I includes think it's, it's everything that Tobey Maguire's ever done. Entirely possible it's the best Spider-Man movie. It's just so... it's It's got all that it needs to, and it's so fresh and cool while still hitting back on everything that we know. And if Sony screws up this new one... Can like, you put Venom in this one? We want Venom in this Guarantee one. Venom is going to be in the next <laughs> Yeah, one. Venom... Oh, I mean, it'd be interesting to do a Venom-verse, I guess. Like, against the Spider-Verse. Interesting, interesting. Kind of like a, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It I'm not seems... saying that's off the top of my head. Yeah, okay, fair we enough. We can workshop it. Yeah, Sony, get Sony on the phone right now. <laughs> all right, um, is that all we have to say about Spider Verse Two, other than the fact that we hope it's good and we're looking forward to I th- it? I, I think it's it. gonna be good. I am very excited, considering how good the first one was, and I, it's a long wait. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be, really counting down there. In other news, yesterday Apple TV Plus launched. There's another one? It's Apple TV's new streaming service. It has a lot of really interesting-looking content. You can get seven days free, and you don't need an Apple TV to watch it. That's a misleading title, I think. I think that's going to lead to a lot of marketing confusion. Yeah. I have the Apple TV app on my Roku. I don't have Apple TV Plus, but I can watch all of my iTunes library on my Roku with the Apple TV app, which is something I've wanted to be able to do for a long time. I think this is just confusing branding. Apple TV Plus is having a lot of new, really interesting-sounding shows, including a show with Steve Carell and Reese Witherspoon called Morning Show, which is like behind the scenes of the Today Show. I think I saw a little uh, tidbit about that, and it looked more interesting than I wanted to give something exclusive to Apple TV Plus credit for. I like that concept. I think so, too. I think it's a good concept. They're having a show that is called For All Mankind. It's kind of their answer to Man on High Castle, where what if the Russians got to the moon first? Why? Okay, because I, I recognize that, too. Why, where have I been watching all these They're on Apple YouTube. Plus things? Steven Spielberg after die. Oh, do we get into Quibble? I don't think we can get into Quibble now. We 
look forward to our full quibble special coming it's a up hot later. Scoop. No one else knows about quibble. Oh, that's true. And Just, will anyone ever know about it? Do I don't know. I, I flip flopped a lot when I was hearing about it, whether or not I was interested or not, and I think I am. Any other thoughts on Apple TV Plus? I'm not going to buy it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't no, think I'm probably gonna buy not going to get it. I think I'll probably wait until the first season of all these shows have run, then get the seven day free trial, binge it all, and then cancel. That might be no the more. No, no more, more streaming, streaming services. services. <laughs> I mean, HBO Max is basically a reinvention of a cable package. Yeah. Except now you get what you want, you don't get ads. Doesn't sound horrible, but I mean, I, I have Hulu, I have Amazon Prime, I've, I've pre-ordered Disney Plus. No Netflix, weirdly enough. I My don't family have Netflix. has Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, sometimes HBO, Disney Plus. Speaking of corporate technological dystopias, <laughs> let's talk about our main segment, boys. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. We did this bit last dun, week. Who are you? My name is Sarah Connor never seen one like you before. Almost human. I am human. Terminator Dark Fate. We are fresh out of the theater seeing this movie. Initial thoughts. I enjoyed it more than I expected to. It didn't suck. Yeah. Which is the first Terminator sequel since T2 to not suck. Yeah. I won't have to justify this one more than I do with like me trying to tell people my feelings about Terminator Salvation. I feel like this one's at least going to have a more positive reception from like longtime fans just because it is like, oh wow, it's like it's not terrible again. So like <laughs> yeah, that's it's real yeah. storytelling with watchable. Mm-hmm. I had fun with it. Yeah. I I very much had fun with it as well. I think it's a victim of modern CGI. I think a lot of the action's a little bit too rubbery. The new Terminator, while a really cool design, isn't entirely convincing every time it's CG. It does a lot of bouncing around and jumping off walls that I didn't really like. It turns a little bit too much of a superhero movie with the Terminator stuff sometimes, but overall I think it works really well. The action is what falls flat the most for me, also because of a lot of it's not played in the wide. It's all cutting to close-ups and medium shots, And I am not getting a very good sense of what the geography of an action sequence is. And that's usually a symptom of building that environment in CG. Interesting. Initially, I guess I didn't really have those thoughts. I I can agree with what you're saying by, like, a lot of the action with the new Terminator, the... uh, It's a Rev-9. Rev-9. I was about to say Net-9. That didn't make sense. It's a cool design, but they were trying to do a lot of the cool CG bullet wounds and stuff from T2 that the T-1000 had, and it seemed like just they kept repeating that because they were probably just like everybody likes to see the liquid metal get messed up and I do but but it loses the tactility of Terminator 2 because Terminator 2 is a brilliant mixture of CG and practical effects Mm. and all the stuff in this movie is CG yeah yeah it is that's the way movies are made now but I'm just in the spirit of like the idea of James Cameron as this the gorilla filmmaking techniques that he brought to those first two Terminator movies, regardless of what we think of James Cameron as a person, is undeniably influential of their tone and the grit of those first two movies. This is, I think, the biggest failure 
of the new movie is to recapture that grit. Yeah, I feel that a lot. What about you, Ricardo? Did you were you picking up on those like really familiar feeling points? Yeah, it, it, I think it brought Terminator back to what I think it started from, instead of whatever Genesis was. Yeah, or even three for that matter. The Rev Nine felt more like a like the right evolution after the T-1000 than like mm-hmm. the whatever Terminator was in Terminator 3, you know, like the lady with the gun plasma arm. Yeah. It felt like the Terminator's designs past T2 just got sillier and sillier. Yeah, yeah they did. And now it's more rooted in what would the natural evolution of this technology be. I want to give a quick shout out to the guy who plays the Rev-9. I thought he was really fantastic. Yeah, I do too. That guy, he he had that Terminator just body language of just like kind of boxy, but like the swiftness in the way he runs and like the the laser-focused motivations for like literally everything he did was like super crystal clear in that guy for sure. Also, every time he interacted with humans, I really got Robert Patrick vibes from T2. Oh yeah, totally. His name is Gabriel Luna the actor. Oh, apparently he's also Ghostwriter on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. No kidding. Good for him. I heard Ghostwriter's actually not bad on that show. I don't know if I'll ever make it that far into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> to find out for myself, but... We're breaking it down. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode by episode. If that's what the fans demand, Ricardo. If what? that's what the listeners demand. I demand. It's not canon in any way. I don't watch it. that show. No, they struck it from the NCU canon almost immediately. <laughs> yeah, that's sad. But yeah, you know, I've heard it's a fine show. But this guy, Gabriel Luna, is really good. He's pretty menacing, and he just looks like a normal guy. Mm-hmm. So it's a really good balance of those two elements. Again, very reminiscent of Robert Patrick in Terminator 2. Absolutely. It almost immediately gets right into the main mm-hmm. plot, so I yeah. feel like any discussion of plot should call spoiler warning. So let's do our final thoughts before we head yeah, to spoilers. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. I'd check it out if you care about the Terminator franchise. This one isn't horrible. I'd give it a shot. As somebody who has grown up on the Terminator far too young to have been watching the Terminator at the time, this feels feels good. Going to the theater and seeing a Terminator that isn't, like, super full of so many problems, it's it's totally solid, and I recommend it. Seamus, I think you put it really well right after we got out of the movie. If you hadn't seen a Terminator movie since Terminator 2, if you didn't have all of these expectations about what Terminator sequels have become since then, and you saw this movie, it would be like a revelation. But now it's just more of a relief. And I think yeah. it's a shame that Terminator as a franchise has used up all of that goodwill from the audience because this is going to underperform at the box office just because it's a Terminator sequel. Mm -hmm. Regardless of how good it was, it was going to underperform. And I thought this was a pretty solid movie. I really liked it. It means they won't make any more of them. Yeah, I mean, hey, I think this is a nice little uh, coda on the Terminator franchise. I think so, too. If I could get a little package set of 1, 2, and Dark Fate, I think that's all I would really need on my shelf, and I'm okay with all that. Before we get into spoilers, the hype is real or the hype is unreal? You know, I think the hype is real. Yeah, I think the hype is real, sure. too. Sure. It's not bad. It's not bad. I think that's the best thing to take away from this is that it's not a bad movie. Great. Let's, let's into move it. into spoilers. Jump on it because that's what I want to get on first. Oh, that's Skynet's not a thing anymore. Yeah, it's a this totally is... different thing. It's just Skynet again. It's it, what, It was called Legion this Legion. Time? It's a It's a new future. It's a dark fate, if you will. I liked that, except for the fact that I wish they explained it. I know they said it's a cyber warfare AI 
and then Sarah Connor's like, oh, they never, they never change, do they? Oh. I think that was kind of them brushing off. They were in the writer's room or whatever, and they were just like, man, we can't just keep giving the same. Because if they explained out Legion, it would have just been explaining Skynet with a different name, pretty much. Yeah, but I would have liked to hear about how it evolved and how it still has Terminators that Does look exactly like Terminators. Uh, no, I like the idea that they stopped Skynet, so they stopped Judgment Day. Okay, but it's still I think happens. that gives Terminator 2 meaning, and I know, but it felt like the First Order to me, where it's just like, yeah. we slapped a new label on it, but it's still it's the same, same thing. the same thing. Again, still we, we don't fully know all the backstory about it. It's not important. They're evil. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's the same, like, kind of looking Terminators. It's the same hunter-killer drones. It's the same general, like, goal of the thing to have a time machine again I send the, people back. I know I was just knocking the action before spoilers, but I thought the Future War stuff, every time we go to the Future yeah. War, it looked pretty good. Totally. Just, like, so watching many the... bones. So, oh, they, they, they don't skip on the, the bones. bones. <laughs> I love it. And also it's nice because in this new canon, we've never seen the Future War during the day. In That's true. one and two. And they're not using just regular assault rifles like in Salvation. They got them laser guns, and I appreciated the laser guns because they're purple again, and that's what I wanted. Let's start from the beginning. We start with a classic okay. Sarah Connor voiceover. Oh no! Doesn't it start off with the footage from two? Oh, over yeah. The, yeah, yeah, over yeah. the opening logos. It's, it's on the TV. It's her talking to Silverman in the insane asylum from Terminator Two. She's just talking about how there's. There's nothing you can do to stop it. You're dead. I'm dead. He's dead. We're all dead. So we move into, well, it's not really a flashback. It's just where the chronology of the movie starts. In 1998, we've stopped Judgment Day. It's a few years after Terminator 2. And boy, does Linda Hamilton look young. Yeah. They, they de-aged the hell out of her, and she looks like 1998. They've recreated Edward Furlong's appearance from Terminator 2. They can bring him back. Well, actually, in the credits, they say Edward Furlong as John Connor reference. So, so technically, the, they did bring him he's back. He's still getting royalties. Back. Edward Furlong got a paycheck from this Wanted movie. Wanted physically on set. They de-aged him <laughs> they while he's CG'd on They CG'd him. He was walking on his knees in a little in little shorts it's or whatever. what I want. You're never going to get that. I'm so sorry. So we're in this beach bar in South America. We've got de-aged Sarah Connor, de-aged John Connor... Sarah's nice little monologue is still going about how they stopped Judgment Day, and a really rubbery-looking Arnold shows up. I thought that was the worst-looking CG out of the three of them somehow. I disagree, Garrett. I (laughs) thought he looked great in that. I've seen extensive pictures of Arnold Schwarzenegger, mind you. I'm I'm a connoisseur of the man, and he... I thought they did... Great justice for him in that in that little flashback. I mean, it looks good. It just looked more like a video game cutscene than the other two did. And the longer that scene went on, the more rubbery they looked to me, just because your eye gets right, used yeah. to it. You, you kind of just be like, this isn't, this isn't real. It's all fake. It's all, it's it's all, all a scam. Simulation. It's Pretty the much. machines. Yeah, that's really the They're machine. Terminators. All three of them are Terminators in, in that, that scene. In that scene, yes, they are. It's a machine imitating a human being. Now, if this was to ever actually happen, Judgment Day, Skynet, Legion, whatever, and they sent back Terminators that looked like Linda Hamilton, that would be the perfect cover to kill everybody. <laughs> there you go. Who's not going to trust Linda Hamilton in that situation? But, Ricardo, what happens to John once Arnie shows up in the beach bar? Oh, he gets, he gets shot in his stomach. 
Yeah, he gets blasted. Twice. Yeah, he just gets uh, ruined. And they show it. Yeah, they shoot this little boy on screen. That is the beginning of the dark fate itself, that the future is now forever different because John Connor is no longer around. As Sarah Connor says, I saved billions of lives, but I couldn't save my son. Cute tear rolling down my cheek. 22 years later, we're in Mexico City. We're meeting Danny. She's a down-on-her-luck factory worker who's trying to take care of her. I don't think she's down-on-her-luck. She oh, seems okay. like she's having a great time. She's, you know, she's got a good relationship with her family. She she's has got a good... a good job at the factory. Well, how much longer does she have a good job at the factory? Because... It's robots that yeah. take it over. Machines are replacing the factory assembly line where they work. They, they work in a car manufacturing plant. Her and her brother. So, so many robots in this movie. That felt a little bit to me like Terminator 1, Sarah Connor's answering machine. You're talking to a machine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was... They gotta do that in most of them, I'm sure, just to be like, themes, themes, ladies and gentlemen. Machines. Ah, they're bad. Yeah. Oh, I get Black Mirror now. <laughs> Black Mirror is just the Terminator. We get a couple of good Terminator bubble things. Yeah. Now they ice up yeah, their surroundings. Yeah, I know. That wasn't in the other ones, right? Like, that's new? That's new, because yeah. in the original ones, they're heat. Yeah. It's a heat bubble, and then oh, this Oh, maybe one, that's just, like, the bubble. parallel futures going off. Sure. It's heat. It's ice instead of heat. This is our new time it's like when Doc Brown it's touches the time now. machine, and it's all icy. I'll take that. Back to the future. Right on. I really enjoyed yeah. the idea that both of the time travelers mm-hmm. that come back are above of the ground. Yeah, what's the deal with that? I don't know, but I thought it was interesting because, you know, if you're in the future war, you're not always going to be exactly where the street level is. That's true. From where your time travel. You're just guessing. This was 80 years ago or whatever it is at that point in the future. So I thought that was really fun. And we, uh, Through those bubbles, we get to meet our savior time traveler, Grace, who is yeah. a... Augmented yeah, human. Not a Terminator, but an augmented human resistance fighter with the powers of a Terminator kind Essentially, of? she's Pretty got much. Terminator vision. She can she, take a little bit more battering than a regular yeah, human. Yeah, she's got speed and strength, but she is still yeah. vulnerable to bodily harm, not... Not like a Terminator. And then we get the Rev-9, which we already mentioned. Mm-hmm. He is a Terminator that has a T-1000 liquid metal body with a T-800 style endoskeleton underneath. So he can separate That's and become fun. two Terminators. I really like that. I like that. That seems like the perfect marriage between the Threat in Terminator 1 and Threat in Terminator 2. And they're just like, you know, por que no las dos? Why, do can't, why can't we have both? Let's throw them both in there in the in the middle there. And so Grace shows up to save Danny from her factory job. A big chase on the freeway ensues with a pickup truck with Grace and Danny and a bulldozer with the Rev-9, which feels very reminiscent of the Terminator 2 motorcycle truck chase. Oh, yes. At the end, it looks like all hope is lost. Danny's brother has been killed oh, yes. by the Terminator. Side note, Danny's singer brother is annihilated in an explosion. Almost immediately. I thought he was going to make it a little bit longer into no, the movie. I knew he was boring. done for immediately. <laughs> they just execute her family post-haste. They do not waste any time to give but her a tragic story. Who shows up to save the day, Ricardo? <laughs> Pull it up in a pickup truck or an SUV or whatever. Throws the door open. We get shotgun wielding old badass Linda Hamilton. Back Sarah end again. Connor. Yeah. She knocks the liquid metal part of the Terminator over the side of the freeway, 
turns to our main characters and says... In one of the best line deliveries of that line, it's like, a, I'll be back. It's a throwaway for her. She doesn't even care. It's, it's great. I don't want to do all of the minutiae of who is in what truck and everything, but essentially... We're off on the run on our adventure. We've got Sarah, Grace, and Danny together on the road. Sarah and Grace, there's some friction. They don't really trust each other. But we learn that Sarah has been hunting Terminators since John's death. Not only hunting Terminators around the world, but hunting them because of a mysterious text message that she would get every few years saying a time, a place... Mm -hmm. Uh, what was going to happen, and that it was for John that she had to go over there and deal with whatever's going to happen. And so I think that's a really interesting little mystery for Sarah, who's it's clearly been troubling her. She says that she's a blackout drunk. Yeah, so she yeah, does. that makes sense. She hunts Terminators and she drinks until she blacks out because she's depressed, but I guess that's just what happens when you're a Sarah Connor. Yeah, nobody thanks you when you're Sarah Connor. It felt a little bit it's like, like she did all those chronicles for nothing. Oh god. This movie felt a little bit like Live Free or Die Hard to me, where I was underwhelmed by the action, but the character work was really solid. Granted, I think this is a much better movie than Live Free or Die Hard, oh, and I think uh, the action is much better than Live Free or Die Hard's action, but I, it gave me similar vibes. Right on. Yeah, I, I totally I totally get where you're coming from there. And Grace has coordinates tattooed on her body from the future, from her commander, telling her that if she gets in trouble to just go to these coordinates and it'll be better. They contact Danny's uncle, who is, is a, coyote. a coyote, who smuggles them over the Mexican border. First on a train? Mm-hmm. Yeah, on Where... a train, and then just hiking through the, the desert. Yep, they go under the wall at the border, but the Rev-9 has infiltrated Border Patrol and located them. So he has Border Patrol waiting for them on the other side. And I will just say real quick, whenever the Rev-9 is just, like, doing his Terminator thing, and his big thing is that he turns his arms flat into just giant, like, blades. Mm-hmm. I think that's some of the most badass Terminator-style killings that there are when he's just, like, slicing people apart with his, with his arms. Mm-hmm. And that's what he does to Border Patrol to get in there. I think that the best parts of this movie are when the Rev-9 is just doing Terminator stuff because that's yeah. when it felt the most like Terminator to me, yeah. that and whenever Sarah Connor was being Sarah Connor. Those were the two parts that worked the most for me. Absolutely, absolutely. So they get detained in Border Patrol. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy, yeah. yeah. It seems like a very, obviously very intentional, political very reference. political way that they're all being detained in this border detention center. Impossible to miss. Yeah, in straight up cages. We got detention center employees like not giving a crap about any of them. And whenever Grace breaks free of her restraints and asks where the prisoners are kept, she is told at gunpoint by another employee that they're not prisoners, they're detainees. (laughs) Oh, God. Honestly, this facility looks better than the actual facilities that the U.S. currently has at the border. Yeah, I was like, they could have made this way more gritty and horrible, but I think they really tried to restrain themselves on that. Yeah, it seems like, despite the fact that this is clearly a political statement, and Mm -hmm. I like my movies to have something to say, so I'm not complaining about that. I do think they did try to temper it a little bit just so that they could appeal to 
as many people as possible on both sides of the political spectrum. But we have a really great action set piece of them trying to make it out of the facility. They are kind of all split up at that point. Yeah, Sarah's been taken because they know she is domestic terrorist Sarah Connor. quote unquote. She's like wanted in every Mm -hmm. state and like on the most wanted list because... Well, you know, for obvious reasons that are outside the realm of, like, looking at it through a killer robot. Danny is in the cages with everybody else, and Grace has been given medical attention because she took it really hard when a drone blew up that the Rev-9 sent after them. All of our characters are trying to make it together, and the Rev-9 is after Danny. Also, a Border Patrol agent that is really cruel to Danny gets it really hard. Yeah, it, it almost seems like that Border Patrol lady is gonna, like, do something. She, like, gets her nightstick out, and she's, like, running towards the Rev-9, and she just gets, like... Straight. <laughs> <just> <laughs> stabbed super hard and violently and just, like, tossed across the hallway, basically. Which was pretty satisfying. Yeah, because that lady was the worst, and she totally gets mm-hmm. got by a Terminator. And there's a really good part of this where a lot of, like, Border Patrol security and, like, full tactical gear are, like, tackling the Rev-9 as he's just like slowly marching through them just rapid fire stabbing all of them as they're trying to do their jobs. Yeah, it's not just his hands his liquid metal body makes little weapons and stabs all over the place Bikes them through the chest and face like a hundred times as he's stone dead faced Mm -hmm. walking to get the ladies that are trying to get out of here on a helicopter at this point. Yes, so they finally get out of the facility on a helicopter there's a lovely moment where Danny risks her life to make sure that Sarah is able to get onto the helicopter. They make it to the mystery coordinates that Grace has tattooed on her body. And what do they find there? Ricardo? And opens the door. Carl. It is the T-800 that killed John Connor all mm-hmm. those years ago that has been living peacefully since he killed John Connor. Raising a family? Yeah. Raising a family That's in weird. Texas. For 20 years. And obviously, Sarah is incredibly distrusting of him, as Mm -hmm. it's the exact robot that executed her small child 22 years before that. Yeah, because in Terminator 2, it's just a T-800 that she's scared of. Yeah. But in this movie, it's a T-800 that killed her son. It's the specific T-800. This is one of the (laughs) things I have problem with in this movie is that it's explained that once that T-800 kills John Connor, that without any orders, he just becomes, like, a empathetic, loving... It's over the course of several years. It's not like it flips a switch. No, I know, but, like, it feels... It just doesn't feel right in He's my a mind. Robot. I really like that. Can robots feel Garrett? The robots dream well, of electric sheep. That's the thing that I'm so surprised that Seamus didn't like this because I thought it felt like a nice exploration of the implications of Terminator 2. If over the course of a few days a T-800 could grow to understand and value human life, I know now why you cry, though I can never do it. Then what happens if a Terminator just gets to live for several years among humanity and get to know them and understand the ramifications of what he does? And he says that after watching his surrogate son and that son's mother's relationship, he understood what he took away from Sarah, and that's why he's sending her those coordinates. I, I guess I can understand that in in the you know base way of just like he is an AI, like it's a robot that learns, and that's the whole point. And 
over 22 years, I suppose that it could get to that point, but in Terminator 2, it felt it felt more impactful to me because he was, like, still very much feeling like a Terminator that is, like, he's struggling to get these things, and he's, like, making compromises in himself to do that. But this feels like... He, he opens the door, and in the scene before Linda Hamilton pulls her pistol and, like, puts a bunch of rounds in him... It almost felt like he could have been, like, the human model they modeled him after in some way. Like, he felt more human than he should have, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. I don't know. I liked that progression. I felt like I could buy it from, again, if it's only a few days in Terminator 2 when he makes that much progress in his learning, I can believe that after two decades in the modern world that he would understand humanity and become more whatever the robotic equivalent of empathetic is. I was able to buy it. I really enjoyed it. I respect Seamus if you don't like it so much, but I also thought it worked really well thematically. The idea that if the future isn't written and people can change, even the machine that killed your son, (laughs) you can mourn, spoiler alert, at the end of this movie when he sacrifices himself for you. We all saw that coming, right? Well, he won't be back. Yeah, he, he says the line... As they're gearing up... Right. To, they all know the Rev9's coming, Arnold is going to help them because it's the right thing to do, and he wants to make sure that not only is the future of humanity secure, but so is the future of his family. He says that, isn't it like he's talking to his family, and then he relates to them, it's like, this is the day that I've been warning them about my entire time with them, mm-hmm. and that I, I won't be back. I won't be back. Which I, my heart broke when he said that. I was like, I had to like lean back in but my he's seat. always back. I liked it. Again, it's a no, natural... No, I loved it. I loved yeah. that part. In, it's a natural inclusion into the narrative. The programming of the T-800, that, I buy that, that. That's a phrase that he would use. You think it's a built-in catchphrase? Obviously, the T-800 has a way that it's I supposed to speak. I think all T-800s have their own individual catchphrase. It's programmed in by Skynet. Uh, Did I do that? (laughs) (laughs) You got it, dude. Oh, that's even sadder with his thumbs up in lava. Jeez. Michelle on Full House often says that with a thumbs up, Ricardo. Yeah, that's her thing. Wow. I can write a Terminator movie. You can write a Terminator sitcom. We almost (laughs) did in the theater. (laughs) We're off to the races. We're going to get an electromagnetic pulse from Sarah's contact in military intelligence. So they're a few miles south of this military base getting a EMP that they think can destroy the Rev-9 from Sarah's contact. Things go south when the Rev-9 shows up. He's been able to locate them in a police helicopter. Very reminiscent of Terminator 2 again. Oh, yeah. I mean, the helicopter. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then we're in a big chase trying to get to the military base try and get to a way to escape. In the firefight, the EMPs are destroyed, so how are we going to take out this Terminator? As their plane is taking off, the Rev-9 is able to get into his own plane and take down their plane. Yeah, straight up crashes two cargo planes into each other, which is a pretty big thing to do. I know you had some gripes with the action, but I thought this crashing airplane fight scene was pretty cool. The one thing I didn't like about it is there's a scene where they're in the cargo bay and Arnold and the Rev-9 are fighting, and I like the idea of that fight, but again, it's 
they don't ever show me a wide, so I don't know geographically where in the cargo bay they are. Because at one point, I thought they were up against the jammed door at the back of the plane. And then when they cut finally to a wide shot as the last shot in the fight scene, I saw that they were actually at the other end of the cargo bay. I mean, that one's also a little hairy because they are in a crashing plane that keeps, like, doing insanely large turns and they kind of keep getting thrown around a lot in that very, like, zero-G style stuff. And I understand how that can complicate trying to follow the 180-degree rule if we want to get into a little bit of filmmaking (laughs) jargon real quick. We not once have talked about why this Terminator is even after Danny. Oh, Oh, this is where we learn it, so that's a perfect time to talk about it. Oh, yeah, in the plane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... When Sarah shows up, she just assumes that Danny has taken her role as the mother of the future leader of the resistance. Mother of the man. Oh, and they very much go on like, you're going to give birth to the only man that can save the future. And I didn't buy that for a goddamn (laughs) second. I wonder where this movie's going to go. And then, of course, Grace reveals on the plane to Danny that she is, in fact, the savior of the human race. She is the new John Connor. And that I really wish Danny actually raised her. Yeah, in Danny post apocalypse. Her mother, essentially. Pretty much. And I really wish that they had just told us that when Sarah first assumes. I don't think anybody. It's not would, a reveal. Yeah, nobody yeah. in the audience isn't going to see that coming. I understand thematically why you have it in the movie at this pivotal plot point, but like you can still hammer that home. Maybe if Danny has a moment of self-doubt, that Grace can remind her that she is the savior of humanity. That little bit stood out to me just because. Watching the movie, I did have the thoughts like, trio of three strong female characters in this heavy, big-budget action movie. That's kind of cool. Oh, and it's yeah. not really addressed at all. That's also pretty cool. Until they do that, it's like you can, you're gonna give birth to the only man that can save the universe. It's a uh, your womb. Oh yeah, your womb is what they're after, not you or whatever. I wish that it'd been handled with a little bit better writing. I still really appreciate the place where it came from. Yeah. And I wish that they had just not made that a reveal and put it back when Sarah first assumed that they, she was the mother of the Resistance. They could have really done that then, and then in the plane where they have the quote-unquote reveal, they could have just done it like, you were the one who saved me back. Like, I know yeah. you because of this. And, like, that would have been... Enough. Yeah, that would have been just fine. Just I think showing that her good. that, oh, no, we have a connection. It's not just that you are the leader of the Resistance, but, like, we personally yeah. have a strong connection yeah you and me <laughs> you get it love it anyway back to back to our regularly scheduled program uh this plane is crashing and what is it crashing into it's crashing into a hydroelectric dam we see arnold's arm is ripped off there's a underwater fist fight which is pretty fun i thought the fist fight part was fine i did not so much care for the part so the way that they escape the crashing plane is they get into a Humvee, a military Hummer, which has a parachute built into it, but they crash and are stuck at the bottom of the river by the dam. Mm-hmm. I didn't so much like that part. I liked the feeling of being underwater, but again, it was something where I didn't think the action was strong enough for me. I liked the Arnold Rav 9 underwater fist fight much more than the part where the Hummer was underwater. You know, it's great underwater. Tune in this January for Underwater, starring T.J. Miller. It's going to be on the show. I sure hope I sure hope not, man. That would be the worst. But after this fist fight underwater, we come to the climax yes. of this film. Everybody's really beat up. 
Arnold is missing most of his skin, yeah, honestly. Yeah. Grace is beat up pretty bad. She needs her meds. Luckily, Arnold deus ex machina's his way onto the land where they've made their way to. He has her medicine that she needs to keep her metabolism up, and he is ready to get them into the dam so they can make their final stand. They they finally decide once they're finally inside this this big dam area. They decide that it's no no more running. This is the final showdown. They have no time to prep before nope. the Rev Nine <laughs> kicks the door in and starts doing what he does. I think this is a really fantastic set piece. Yeah, totally, absolutely. I I wasn't entirely sure how they were gonna because they keep going on about how like this Terminator, the Rev Nine, is so hard to like kill. damage and kill, mm-hmm. and I wasn't sure how they were gonna you know work that in after they destroyed the EMPs earlier in the movie and. As soon as I saw that furiously spinning turbine in this in this dam, I, I was I was ready to see somebody thrown into it. Mm-hmm. That's a really effective fight scene. All four of our protagonists teaming up against the Rev Nine in his skeleton form and his liquid metal form, as they shove him into the turbine. The turbine blows up. His liquid metal form is gone. Grace is injured seemingly fatally, so she has Danny cut out her power source to use as a bomb to kill the Rev-9. The Rev-9's metal skeleton comes out of the wreckage just like Terminator 1. Oh yeah. Arnold gets up, he grabs the power source from Danny, jumps to the bottom of an under-construction turbine, and punches it in the face. Yep. Yep. Until they both fuse into the ground. Like Beowulf. I never saw that movie. Oh, I meant the story. Yeah, me too. That's what I meant. I'm (laughs) smart, I swear. I think it's a really good wrap-up after we get this pretty pretty dramatic ending to our boy, Arnie, where we we see his Terminator vision and we see his red eye go out dramatically. Just like Terminator 2. And then we cut to Danny looking at Grace Mm -hmm. through a chain-link fence on a playground, also very reminiscent of Terminator 2. young Grace. Yeah, Young Grace from the past. Yeah, it's actually almost exactly like the original alternate ending to Terminator 2, where it was going to be old lady Sarah Connor sitting in a park on Judgment Day watching children play. That's right, I forgot about that. Danny, her final declaration is that she would not allow Grace to die for her in the future again. Danny knows how to drive now, and we get her and Sarah driving off to presumably yeah, they get be... a jeep, just mm-hmm. like yeah. in that other movie. Yeah, and, and then the nice Terminator theme comes in, and they drive off and then the into the ends. uncertain future. And then the franchise ends. Yeah, hopefully, I, yes. No after credit scenes, which I was happy about. Another Terminator ever again. I really hope Ricardo, in fifteen years, if anybody at all would ever listen to this podcast. They say, those guys were right. (laughs) Me too. I think that about wraps us up for Terminator Dark Fate. I want to know what you guys thought of it. Presumably, if you sat all the way through spoilers, you have also seen this film. So if you want to let us know what you thought, you can tweet us at PCR underscore podcast or email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought. Now, on with the show. Now it's time for everybody's favorite part of the show, Where's Riley? We really need some theme music for this, don't we? <laughs> yeah, we need a little jingle. Yeah. If any of you nice people want to make us a jingle, 
Email it over to us. Tweet it over to us. We'd love to hear it. Maybe we'll feature it on the show. Hell yeah. I'd love that. So I asked Riley where he is, and he is, quote, chilling at home, catching up on some wrestling, as well as this week's episodes of This Is Us and It's Always Sunny. I thought he was going to say this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference, <laughs> and I'm disappointed. So uh, Riley's having a nice chill day. Good for him. Tweet at us, hashtag, where's Riley if you even care? We would love to know. <laughs> tweet at us, hashtag, found Riley if when you, f- you find him on the street. I don't know if we can encourage stalking, <laughs> Ricardo, but you know what? Let's move on to our pop culture reference of the episode. So today we're going to be talking about the term deus ex machina. What's that mean, Seamus? Uh, I believe one movie with Oscar Isaac. Oh, that's just called Ex Machina. Yeah, you dumb idiot. The sequel to that movie. It's Latin, I believe. Deus Ex Machina is Latin for the god machine or... Machine of the god, whatever. It's a narrative device that is used in Greek tragedy, mostly. That's where it originated. That means at the end of the play, when all things seem lost, a literal god offers a solution to the main characters. And it usually means that, essentially, the writer of the story Mm -hmm. is throwing the characters a rope out of an impossible situation. So we actually talked about this just a minute ago in spoilers for Terminator Dark Fate. There is a deus ex machina of sorts in the third act of that movie, so we thought it was relevant to bring it up on this week's pop culture reference. Sometimes when it's the Terminator, it's literally a machine that's sent there by the gods of some kind, like Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's about it. That's true. It's a literal deus ex machina. Also, check out Ex Machina. It's a pretty good movie. Yeah. But that's a good segue into (laughs) Rec Center. Nope. Good place first. Let's do that. Now it's time for Hell is Other Podcasters, where we break down this week's episode of The Good Place. This is Season 4, Episode 6, A Chip Driver Mystery. Woof. What a... (laughs) This wasn't a mystery at all. It was very apparent who the D-bag was. Our episode opens with Michael talking to Bad Janet in her cell in Good Janet's Void, and he's going to tell her the story of the past week and what happened in the neighborhood. That's our framing device. Apparently, Bad Janet has been captured in Good Janet's Void for six months, even though he says it was also right after the events of last week's episode was just a week ago. I don't really understand what the timeline is in that. Jeremy Baramy. That's all you got to say. Let's move on. (laughs) The humans have just gone on a ski trip. Everything's going really well in the neighborhood. Everything's coming up Millhouse. Apparently, Brent... (laughs) has made really big improvements during his time in the neighborhood. He's treating everybody with a lot of respect. Cut to Chidi and Simone having dinner in a nice outdoor cafe. Did you notice what building next door to the cafe that they were eating at? The name of the store is Jetpacks and Such. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I did notice that. I also like one of the restaurant names in the background was The Good Plates. I don't know if that has been on before, but I, I like that. I think maybe in season one, I think, or maybe during all the reboots. Oh, maybe, yeah. Brent comes up to tell them that he has written a book, A Chip Driver Mystery, Six Feet Under Par. It's about golfing. It's about a spy. It's about a private eye. It's about the president. It's about a submarine. It's about the quarterback for the Chicago Bears. And it's all terrible. It's It's all one guy. It's a John Clancy novel. Yeah, it is kind of like that. But in this novel... All of the characters are very offensively based on all of the people in The Good Place. With a lot of racial stereotypes. Um, What's Tahani's character's name? Scarlet Pakistan. Which is horrifying, (laughs) to to say the least. (laughs) 
so Simone especially, but all of the characters are really horrified by the way that they're portrayed in this book, rightfully so, and Eleanor is trying to keep a lid on all of their anger and trying to essentially appease Brent. Michael and him, the two white guys on the show, mm-hmm. go golfing and have a conversation about how, you know, sometimes in life you mess up and sometimes you have to apologize for it. It completely goes over Brent's head and he doubles down <laughs> yeah. on his yeah. offensive nature. Michael says you have to apologize, brings him to the neighborhood and tries to make him apologize and he won't. He calls Simone a birch. Right. And tells Chidi to fork himself. Yeah. In which Chidi socks him one real hard. <laughs> Chidi punches him in the face. And, like, yeah. flips him over a table? Does he, like, knock him back really hard? It was pretty great. It, it was a good Chidi, punch. Especially because Chidi had a rough episode because also uh, Chidi has accidentally let John find out that Jason is Jason and yeah, not Jianyu the monk. Yeah. And that turns into a whole little sub-thing about um, keeping secrets and not gossiping that, mm-hmm. that's touched on lightly. Mm-hmm. And so Chidi is trying to reach out to John to try to get him to keep the secret of Jason being Jason. And it kind of ties in nicely with our other plot of being understanding of people and not just doing what's expedient and best for you. It's a really nice way for all of our characters to show growth, and I like Simone's indignance about not appeasing Brent, about standing up for herself and how offensive he is. Michael says something really nice in this episode that's called back a couple of times, the most important shot in golf is the next one, and he uses that as an allegory for life. It's very poignant. It matters what you're doing next. Even if you messed up, what matters is what you're doing in the present to better yourself. And that's what he's trying to tell Bad Janet. These humans are trying to better themselves. And every single day, as long as they're trying to be better than they were the day before, that's what matters. And so the way that he decides to be better is to let Bad Janet go back to the bad place. And hopefully... Nothing bad ever happened ever again. That's not going to come into play later Yeah, I have a feeling that the book that uh, Michael gives Janet about... It's a log. It's a log of their of the human's progress, right? About how they've been getting better. Yes. And I think that might be some spy material coming up later in this season. Yeah, I'm very curious. I wonder if he's feeding them false information, trying to get them to strategize against them in a way that... Is it going to work? I wonder if there's something up with the book that's enchanted in some mm. way. I'm very, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, this was a really streamlined episode. There were really only two plots. A very simple A plot, B plot, very focused. I enjoyed it quite a lot. I'm curious to what it sets up. There's been a lot of complications. Oh, yeah. But at the end of the episode, our team is ready to get back out there mm-hmm. with new strategies. Keep forgetting it's the last season. I know. Oh, it's yeah, making me, me sad. Well, I'm, I'm very excited to see what this big finale is going to bring. All right, well, let's move on with the show. And now's the time of the show that we are going to save the rec center. Boys, what do you got this week? Well, you know, I know I just recommended it a few segments ago, but I really like Ex Machina. I think it's a really strong film starring Alicia Vikander, Dom Gleason, and Oscar Isaac in really good roles. It's disturbing. It's poignant. I highly recommend it. I think it's on Netflix. I think so, too. And I, I wholeheartedly agree. That movie rocked me when I saw it. I, yeah. I was not expecting that. My rec center this week, I am delving back into the Telltale Games catalog 
And I'm recommending the Telltale episodic Back to the Future game series, which is uh, very much choose-your-own-adventure style puzzle story game based in Hill Valley. You get to go to the future. You get to go to the past. You get to play in the present. You get to... Explore alternate timelines. Alternate timelines, different fun things. It is really just like a fun and honest continuation of Back to the Future. It's it's a little before the Walking Dead stuff with Telltale, so they weren't as big at the time, but it definitely has a ton of quality. You could pick it up pretty cheap at the Steam sale, and also you could probably get it for, what, PS3 and Xbox 360, pretty cheap at GameStop, or oh, half yeah. price books or anything probably like that. Not. PS4, right? At least the no. score. Maybe I should replay that game on PS4. It I, seems I like it's be been it. the free game on PlayStation Plus before. Oh, maybe, maybe. All right, Ricardo, what do you got? It's a movie that's not even out yet, but I, we've got to see it beforehand. It's Standing Up, Falling Down. Oh, that was one of the highlights of gentlemen. Ben Schwartz! It's Ben Schwartz opposite Billy Crystal. My God. This is a relatively low-budget like indie movie that we were lucky enough to catch in Portland when we were there. And it's just real good. Billy Crystal knocks out of the park in this role. Ben Schwartz does a semi-serious turn in this movie, which is, I've never seen that from him. It should come out sometime this month. I yeah, I think they remember. said November something. And it's yeah, just great comedy. So it's been picked heart. up for what release? I... At the very least, uh, VOD. Great. I'm excited to see it when us plebs get to oh, finally watch you're it. You're going to love it, Garrett. Trust me. I'm glad. Thank you, Ricardo, for sharing that with us. Real quick, before we wrap up, we actually have a tweet this week, guys. Somebody tweeted at us. Oh what up? At JStats on Twitter reached out to us and said, at PCR underscore podcast, loved the Halloween spooktacular. Many things to watch. But there were no references to hashtag Mad Monster Party representing the hashtag Rankin and Bass. And I think it would be great if we wanted to bring a little bit of Rankin and Bass into the podcast, maybe in December, talking about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, The Year Without a Santa Claus, all those nice specials. I think maybe we'll just have to dedicate an episode or two. (laughs) That would be great. I'd love to do a deep dive on the first cinematic universe. I would too. If any of you want to tweet us suggestions of what you'd like to see, you can reach us at PCR underscore podcast on Twitter. You can follow us at the same handle on Instagram. And you can email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll see you next week. Send us your fairy godmother fan art. Dun, 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 dun.